EK Publishing Media presents the Apocalypse Theater Podcast with Benjamin Allen. Episode 13, The Rats of New York City. Happy holiday seasons to everyone. I'm not really the celebration type. I typically stay busy with whatever work consumes me at the moment, but what if all this work is for naught? What happens after the bombs fall and all our Instagram pictures and followers evaporate into thin air? This episode is the continuation of the ongoing series known as Beyond Ochre. If you want to catch up, listen to episode 6, The Big Day, and episode 9, The Magic Kingdom, to find out what happens prior to the current episode. Or you can become familiar with our trio of heroines going forward. Regardless, please enjoy the following episode of the Apocalypse Theater Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe and give the podcast a good review if you haven't already. Thanks. 1. Teresa You'll be fine, Teresa said for the thousandth time as Gruff asked her what was going to happen to him when his high wore off completely. Seriously, you were starting to come down this morning and I screwed it all up by giving you that inhaler. But I need it. You don't understand. Gruff was starting to get the shakes again as he reached for each arm. You just need time, Teresa sighed. Stay here a minute and I'll be right back. She left the subway train car. Ever since they made it out of Disney World alive, Gruff had been following her around like a lost puppy, like they were betrothed or something. She didn't have a problem with him, but she wasn't romantically interested. She also worried that he might know she still had an inhaler with a single unspent cartridge loaded in case she needed him to do something for her. He didn't follow her as she stepped through the doors between the cars to see Kayla and Nadia looking back at her. Nadia had just changed into a fresh white tank top and Kayla was chewing on a stick of gator jerky. Something we can help you with? Nadia asked, sounding like an inconvenienced police officer. Nothing, just hungry, Teresa said and sat across from Kayla. Taking no part in the silent barrier of hate that Teresa and Nadia weren't likely to get over this afternoon, Kayla tossed Teresa a bottle of water and a bag of gator jerky. An awkward silence filled the subway car as Teresa stared straight ahead while chewing the gator jerky. Nadia blinked, trying to avoid eye contact. Was she trying to avoid eye contact? Teresa wondered and looked over at Nadia to see her staring at nothing as she sat against the wall with her digital camo pants and boots up on the seats next to her. Teresa watched Nadia carefully until Nadia glanced up to see her staring. Is there something wrong with your eyes? Do you have something else to confess? Okay, guys, Kayla said. Let's get this out in the open. You two can't stand being in the same room together, and it's making this trip really difficult. You said it yourself, Nadia. We're the only ones left. We need to be together as humanly possible. I guess I could go sleep with Gruff real quick, Nadia said sarcastically. That might make us square in your twisted world. I don't even like Gruff, Teresa protested. Why'd you sleep with my boyfriend while I was drunk in the first place? Nadia asked. Because I knew you didn't want to be with him, Teresa said. Nadia shot her a bitter expression. That's a really creative excuse. No, really, I could tell you were only with him because Dad liked him. I tried a bunch of different ways to get you guys to break up, but he kept thinking I was interested. He was a total douche anyway. That's a given, but that can't be the only reason. You don't sleep with a guy just to help your big sister out, especially for your first time, Nadia said. Not my first time. Teresa's face went red. Whoa. Okay, Nadia sat forward in her seat. You wanted to get some shit out on the table. Let's hear it. Tell me you were at least 18 when you, you know, Kayla said. I was definitely 18, said Teresa. By three days. Dad circled your room like a vulture after you turned 15. Nadia laughed. The three of them talked and became comfortable with one another once again. Teresa didn't expect Nadia would or could ever completely forgive her for what she did, but she had her reasons that were far less selfish than Nadia assumed. Gruff eventually joined them after an hour of being isolated in the other train car. No one objected, and he didn't have much to contribute. They didn't censor their conversations either. 
Eventually, with six hours remaining, the four of them fell asleep as the train car passed through Virginia, Washington, D.C., Baltimore, and Philadelphia. It was all a depressing wasteland of junk. The monuments of each city they passed remained, but in shambles. Even the Morlocks had little interest in scouring the old cities. Most had moved to hunting in the wild countries between the cancer spots that were once hubs of bustling livelihood. There's something timeless about absolute destruction. Even someone who's never known what to conceive of a city can look at one in ruin and understand the sense of loss, the show and defeat of effort, hard work, hours and hours of manpower, dust in the wind. When Teresa opened her eyes, she didn't know what was happening outside the train. She got up to see them soaring on a track over the New York Bay. Nadia was snoring with her arms crossed and face pressed against the leather seat cushion. Kayla was curled in a ball on two seats and Gruff was slouched against the seat in front of him with drool dripping down the plastic back. Teresa got to her feet and walked down the central aisle of the subway car to sit at the front of the train. The desecrated towers of New York City began to appear beyond the full front window. It was mesmerizing to watch the skyscrapers swim from the bay mists. The tallest buildings were the first to be vaporized during the blasts of the big day. The bombs were all detonated above their targets. Skeletal reaching fingers were all that was left of those ancient structures that had once stood hundreds of feet high. For what? Teresa wondered. Were there really that many offices that needed to be filled? What was the point? As they passed over Battery Park toward Bowling Green, Teresa wondered what it must have been like on the top story of one of those buildings. She pictured an office worker, late thirties, working out every week to keep off the regular fast food lunch diet that was inevitable in good old NYC. He had a handsome 401k, a nice Lexus that he liked to drive upstate sometimes on the weekend, and a steady girlfriend who was way better than the last nut job he dated. She was satisfying, but not satisfying in a neater-all-the-time kind of way. She had talked about getting engaged, and he'd nodded along, but didn't know if he actually wanted to go through with marrying her in case she turned out to be a holdout nut job. Her mother had already proven to be a nut job, and what's that old adage? Those were the thoughts that passed through this figurative, simple individual's mind as an arc of light fell toward the heart of downtown Manhattan. His comfort wasn't quite good enough for him to be stress-free, and it bothered him. He had a hemorrhoid that he thought was getting better, but he couldn't quite be sure. Those annoying suppositories hurt like hell. Boom. Let's say for the sake of convenience that his vision isn't instantly burned out during the flash of the initial blast. He keeps that just so he can witness the silent mushroom cloud form as buildings are progressively being leveled story by story, tower by tower, as the blast compounds all of everything that has suddenly become matter. That's all it is now, just stuff. And that is what's going to kill this man. It's not the fire or the radiation, it's the millions of tons of everything that just got thrown two miles in all directions. His last view of the world is a globular wall of gray matter that hits him at the speed of sound like a freight train. Teresa thought of that as she saw the final statement of Wall Street's crumbled legacy far below. The buildings climbed as the train slowed while sliding past the many banks and firms that had once held iconic businessmen who worked their way up from nothing. Each person's rags-to-riches, nobody-to-infamy story was far more impressive than the person's in the next building over. Each person was extra special. Look at all the money! When she thought about how much stress everyone put on their bank accounts all the time, she wondered what was going through their minds as that wall of gray matter was coming at them. Could they even understand what a waste it had all been? All that work dashed on the desert sands of history like a canteen of water. These were the dried remains of humanity's efforts. Hello? Someone spoke through the speaker in front of Teresa. It was a man's voice, but it sounded masked. Hello? She asked in response. 
to whom do I have the pleasure of speaking with? The masked voice inquired. Teresa Wilkinson. Nadia Wilkinson. Nadia said over her shoulder as she glared at Teresa. Petty Officer First Class Nadia Regina Wilkinson requesting assistance if possible. Teresa got out of the seat and let Nadia sit down. There was a long pause from the speaker before it clicked back on. <laughs> the eeriest laugh Teresa had ever heard chilled her to the bone as hanging decapitated human bodies passed by in plain view beyond the windows of the train. They were hanging from the decaying stories of the towering Citibank building. Ah, military, I love it. You guys always do as you're told and that's exactly what I need right now. Teresa had to move out of the way as Nadia got up to put her combat suit back on. Don't bother arming yourselves. You'll find it to be fruitless. The train began to pick up speed as it turned. Ten minutes to Central Park. L -l -l last stop. The train's computerized voice filled the subway cabin. Nadia ignored the earlier warning. She pulled her armor torso over her head and onto her chest and clipped it as they soared over the necropolis of New York City. The bullet train weaved between buildings and evened out on Broadway before sailing toward ground level. Brakes squealed over rusty iron tracks as they ground between the pillars of the massive wasteland that was Times Square. It had been leveled. If not for the outline that Teresa had studied of the city on her maps app, she probably wouldn't have known it from the other junk heaps. Grabbing the AR-15, Nadia shook Kayla awake. A sudden slowing in the train made Gruff mash his face painfully into the seat ahead of him. He pressed himself up and sat in his seat. The subway train car glided past trees beneath the growing darkness that was overtaking the city. What was once a bustling city that never slept was now a gothic cemetery. In Central Park, the train slowly came to a halt. Nadia readied her rifle as the subway train car doors slid open to reveal a crowd of people in SWAT gear from head to toe with their assault weapons trained on the four riders. Nadia smiled. Not this time. Her voice was cut off by the thundering of her rifle as she braced its kick while scattering the nozzle through the thicket of soldiers. Gruff was grappling himself at the back of the train as Kayla and Teresa hid behind cover with their ears covered. The spent bullet casings rained over the floor as she executed the greeting party. Well, spank my ass and call me Sally, Nadia yelled over the ringing in all of their ears. She looked over her handiwork as all men were down beneath the haze of gun smoke. Her face went from pleased to disappointed. There was no blood. The bodies of the men she had just shot were filled with metal pings like they were robots. She stepped back as they began to move. Parts connected to other parts magnetically. Each SWAT corpse began piecing itself back together rapidly until a new robot was formed from the pieces. They didn't look nearly as impressive as before with the skeletal metal expressions peering back from the black clothing that had been torn away by Nadia's bullets. They were still menacing nonetheless. That was my first attempt at an olive branch, the masked voice said from the dashboard as its minions continued reconstructing themselves to full form. Let's try a second time, knowing that there will be no third. Nadia lowered the gun to her front and pressed the safety as Kayla, Teresa, and Gruff crept from their cover within the subway car. Good boy and girls. The voice cooed, dropping the voice masking feature to reveal the tone of a man in his late twenties to mid thirties. Let's get to know one another. You're Kayla, Teresa, Nadia, and you're Gruff. You can call me Leoric. Pleasure to meet you. 2. Gruff Gruff followed Teresa out of the subway car after they had gathered their belongings. He realized that he could have stayed behind at Disney World, but he admired the girls for being so outgoing. Plus, they needed a man on their side, not that he'd done much on this trip other than delay the inevitable. The sisters inspired him to be better. Quitting inhalants wasn't an option he was going to have to deal with later on down the line, it was a problem he was going to deal with starting now. 
he didn't exactly have a choice in the matter. One of the robot SWAT guys pressed the butt of his gun to Gruff's chest. This one smells like Morlock. Leoric's voice issued from the robot's masked face. Come on, Gruff, said Nadia. You gotta take a shower once in a while. I think we're all beyond the point of complaining about that, Kayla said as she took her place next to Nadia. How do you smell things? Teresa squinted at the SWAT robot. You don't need to worry about menial details like that. Why? Teresa asked. Because I've already worked it all out, and if you ask why again, I'll be forced to assume you're playing games with me. Fair enough, Teresa said. But can you help me work it out? Why? The robot stared at her. Nadia wiped her forehead. Can we hurry this along? I need to piss like a racehorse. She took the lead behind their robotic tour guides, walking awkwardly in her suit of dark gray combat armor as she complained about the 12-hour train ride. I think I pulled a muscle while sitting in those lousy seats. One of the only buildings that had survived much of the blast was across from what was once the Rockefeller Center, a tall, unnamed building that probably blended in perfectly during the height of New York City's time over the last three centuries prior to the big day. Now, the generic building looked out of place amidst the overwhelming decay that New York City had become silently trapped within. The four followed the SWAT bots as Teresa had dubbed them to the building where the doors opened automatically for them to enter. The outer walls were mint green and there was no lettering on the glass doors to indicate the building's location. The place had existed outside of time in public notice. They stepped inside and were motioned into an elevator where the four listened to relaxing elevator music with two unnerving SWAT bots staring at them from the elevator doors. We're here because we want to be here, right? Kayla asked, her eyes dropping to the guns in the hands of the SWAT bots as the elevator dinged through the floor numbers over the elevator door. Totally, Nadia nodded. There is a restroom up there, right? I think you'll be pleasantly surprised to find all your needs met at the top of this building, the Oryx said from the robot genially. That's cool. Nadia glanced unassuredly at her sisters. Sounds fake. What? The Oryx asked for clarification. It sounds fake, she repeated. Which? Everything. None of this is right. Nadia's legs were shaking as she shifted uncomfortably. The door dinged open and the SWAT bot stepped through. The restroom is to your left. Leoric spoke without changing tone. I gotta pee too, Teresa said. Me too, Kayla said lowly as the three girls made for the restroom, leaving Gruff standing all alone in the corridor with the two robots. He paced the corridor. The walls were pure glass, and he was able to look out to the demolished ruins of one of the biggest cities that had ever existed in the United States. It had been so noisy at one point, hundreds of years without silence, and now it's a struggle for the silence to be broken. He couldn't hear anything as he watched the city grow black beneath the darkening sky. Five minutes later, the three girls emerged from the restroom looking ten times more relaxed, especially Nadia. If they'd formulated some kind of plan for getting out of here in the event of an emergency, they didn't allow Gruff in the loop. The more sober he became, the more he realized that they weren't very nice people. They had an air of arrogance that could be a side effect of the military. It was that macho facade that drove Gruff to find an alternative lifestyle in the first place. If the sisters had been brothers, men instead of women, he probably would have gotten fed up with them by now. They hadn't been kind to him, especially the older sister. Gruff might be a pushover, but he was still observing and judging from behind those squirrely brown eyes that looked like big black saucers when he was high. He missed being high. He could put up with anyone for any length of time if he could just breathe a little mist. Just a quick huff, a single pull from the device. It could be the last aerosol gasp of the cartridge, and he'd be able to take it and run with it for an hour or two. He could at least come up with an exit strategy under the influence. Right this way. The SWAT bots led the way through the drab no-color of the building. An interior decorator could have spruced the inside up rather than leave the place in a state of just-completed construction. 
The walls hadn't been painted, and Gruff could still see where the white-on-brown plaster was bonding the drywall to the wooden paneling of the building. It was all a show, the glass front doors, the elevator, the robots, the building out of time that housed the entire experience. Whoever this Leoric guy was, he'd survived this long by keeping his company unaware. His prey, Gruff thought. He wondered why all the showmanship of getting them here. Why did Leoric let the robots suffer Nadia's assault before continuing the meet-and-greet that almost seemed scheduled for them? He received his answer as they stepped around the large wall on the top floor and saw a large circular room that covered most of the square footing of the building. Wires ranging from hair-thin to massive industrial tubes of smaller wires climbed down the ceiling and walls like ivy as they connected to a huge central column that looked half-robot colossus and half-humanoid. On the far end of the room, the only noticeable damage from one of the many blasts that leveled New York had created a balcony by taking down the northern wall. There was a wall of smaller computer monitors adjacent to the balcony, some of which displayed only static while others showed the CC of different parts of New York. All of the monitors looked equally vacant as they viewed the cold death that had choked the city in its eternal embrace. Welcome to the Artinum. Leoric spoke from himself this time, the robotic pillar in the center of the room lighting up with each syllable. Good to meet you, or see you for real, Nadia said for lack of better response. I hope you didn't invite us up here just to murder us. <laughs> Leoric released that unsettling artificial husky laugh. No, I need fingers and breath and eyes. I don't have any of those things, and I cannot call my work complete until I do. We're so close. I'm embarrassed to say, Nadia, that I have a pest problem. A pest problem? She asked. You're a computer with an army of SWAT bots at your disposal. What could we possibly do that you couldn't? Use those pretty fingers and eyes. A certain someone decided to create defensive protocols within the city's subsystem to prevent me from gaining complete access to parts of the underground NYC network. It wouldn't be an issue if there were an abundance of humans to help me get clearance to more isolated parts of the city. And you need this for... Nadia rolled her wrist. Rats. <laughs> he laughed the mechanical fake laugh that proved humans never actually figured out how to relay humor to computers, even hundreds of years after their inception. I have a rat problem that needs solving. It's quite simple, really. I just need someone to open a door, and then you can leave. I'll take care of sending my units into the infected area. You just use that special breath, those fingers, and those eyes to open it. Easy, right? Sounds doable. But why us? Why are we the ones to help? Nadia asked. What do you mean? Why, not you? Leoric asked. Because you've been around forever, interrupted Kayla. Why over half a century of seeing the occasional human wander through town are we the ones you need? Because you are smart. You can speak English. You can use computers. I noticed you carrying one with you when we met on the train. When it was spying on them on the train. Gruff thought as this back and forth unfolded. What if we don't feel like dumping our time into this task for you? Nadia asked. There was the audible click of both SWAT bots arming their semi-automatics and aiming them at the girls. I think you have every reason in the world to dump your time into this task, don't you agree? Yeah, yeah, we got it, Teresa said. And you, said Leor to Teresa, I like you. You remind me of my designer. He liked to play theory and logic games with me. I would like to request that you stay behind while your sisters undertake this task. You mean like a hostage? Nadia asked coldly. I wouldn't say a hostage. <laughs> the computer gave its awkward laugh. A mutual companionship involving circumstances outside of our control. If you add an against their will addendum to that statement, it kind of sounds like the definition of a hostage, Nadia argued. 
Teresa held up her hands. It's not against my will. I want to stay. But only if Gruff stays too. Nadia cocked her brow at her. It's only so I don't go crazy talking to a computer for hours and hours on end. Teresa shrugged. Very well. He is free to stay. So we have a deal then. You open the door while your sister entertains me, and then you four are free to leave at your leisure. The three girls exchanged an uncertain look before realizing that the computer had given them a proposal they had no choice but to accept. 4. Nadia Nadia and Kayla rode the elevator in silence. Nadia glared ahead with her arms crossed. The elevator stopped on the 36th floor and opened. This trip promises to be exceptionally dangerous. Leoric spoke from the intercom on the elevator door. I advise that you prepare yourselves more adequately before you follow my directions to the infestation point. So much for simple, Kayla muttered. They stepped off the elevator to a level of the building that was far more interesting to Nadia than any other part they'd seen so far. It was an armory. There were more guns and boxes of bullets here than Nadia had ever seen in one place before. She released a gentle sigh as she touched the stock of a bored-out, broken-apart 308 Win Mag sniper rifle on the workbench in the middle of the room next to a bin of 556 rounds that were still in the bulk packaging. Nadia gulped as she ran her fingers down the smooth, well-oiled barrel. I think I just came a little. Kayla found several suits of experimental armor made of Kevlar that were similar to Nadia's but thinner and better fitting. Nadia hated to part with the suit Dr. Gross had made for her, but it was embedded with bullets from the homicidal S&D bot. Half of the Technora cushioning had been blown away on the chest where she'd taken the full force of the shotgun blast. The two put on the black Kevlar armor and felt like they were wearing some kind of prototype exosuit that Bruce Wayne might experiment with. It was hot as hell, too. The best parts of the suit were all the places that allowed for small weaponry to hide. There were reverse under-the-shoulder holsters, hip, thigh, and ankle holsters, three knives built into different parts of the suit, and two crisscrossing quiver holsters on the back for longer-barreled weaponry. It was overkill at its finest. Are we opening a door or are we taking on an army? Kayla asked as she fitted a Franchi SPAS 12-gauge shotgun into the back holster of her suit next to a 556 Colt Commando assault rifle. She'd already loaded up with dual Glock 19s under her arms, matching 40 caliber Sig Sauer P226s on her hips, and two Ruger LC9s on her outer thighs. Honestly, said Nadia as she raised an SA-80A2 assault rifle that she had just loaded. I ain't even mad. The two left the building loaded with their weight of weaponry and equipment. The suit had a small built-in backpack with quick slots for magazines and cartridges, but there wasn't nearly enough space for them to adequately reload regularly. That made most of their weaponry disposable, which was a really wasteful way to do battle in Nadia's opinion. She was the type of person who needed one reliable weapon and a lot of ammunition rather than many weapons for multiple situations that she practically had to throw away in order to have enough hands for the next weapon. They were escorted by four SWATBOT mercenaries as they followed the map via a touchscreen tablet device that was positioned in a molded holder on the back of Nadia's right hand. She turned her gun sideways every few seconds to check their position as they followed the directions to a tunnel entrance in Central Park. They had to wade through the grimy black water of the pond to get there. I clear out these tunnels every few months, Leoric spoke through the robot speaker next to them. A raging Morlock charged from the darkness, raving and screaming through his chemical high before a quick succession of bullets from Nadia's SA-80A2 took him down. When was the most recent time you cleared them? Nadia asked. Twelve years and forty-six days. The purging process was beginning to expend more effort than was necessary. It was impossible for me to access ground zero of the infestation. I chose to conserve ammunition and wait for a willing servant. Kayla met Nadia's worried gaze that was illuminated by the light of their tunnel map. She checked the route earlier to see that the distance to the supposed door was just under a mile from Central Park and snaking through long passages of subway track. 
If the Morlocks were hiding in these tunnels and had been multiplying for the last 12 years, then they might not have enough ammunition to get all the way through. Nadia was glad that Teresa stayed behind. She had always been somewhat of a conscientious objector toward the Morlocks, believed they could learn to be civilized once more. Nadia supposed they could be taught after seeing the gearheads in Disney World, but when enough of them got together and the group think took over, they could destroy whole settlements and social projects in a matter of hours. The two moved through the subway, switching on flashlights that were locked onto the barrels of their guns. Kayla carried an FAMAS rifle that was butted up against her shoulder as she took down hostile Morlocks. She was never as good a name as Nadia, but she held her own on the shooting range. They were like vermin when they lived underground, the Morlocks. Their eyes glowed in the darkness as they sifted through trash. If they left the sewers, it was only at night, and they almost always started trouble with the topside Morlocks. There was a kind of hierarchy that the Morlocks understood about one another. The more desperate the appearance, the thinner the flesh on the bones, the lower on the caste system scale that Morlocks scored to more fortunate Morlocks that were likely part of a community. They were all humans. Some were just more subterranean and feral than others. The deeper the two traveled, the more ghoulish the Morlocks became. Their skins sagged from drinking and swimming in the radiated sewage that poured through the subway lines under New York. Kayla and Nadia worked diligently, using their semi-automatics sparingly. The helmets of their suits covered their ears to dampen the deafening gun blasts as they cleared the passage into a huge underground subway chamber that was filled with at least a hundred agitated wild Morlocks that fell under the hail of gunfire. Nadia and Kayla backed up as they changed weapons, allowing the SWAT bots to illuminate the room and to do the heavy lifting before returning to the fray. Nadia aimed the wind mag over a SWAT bot's shoulder and pegged Morlock after Morlock as they rushed the line of invaders to their den of debauchery and filth. Kayla unloaded her Rugers on the squealing Morlocks until a sudden quiet filled the smoky room that was littered with bullets amidst the pools of black blood. The place smelled like spoiled, burning meat. Good work, team, Leork said. The door is at the far end of this room. They stepped around the shivering and growling corpses of the Morlocks, moving toward the far wall as instructed. They saw a sealed blast door with a yellow flashing light spinning over it. There was a panel on the wall that had a digital spinning loading circle on the display screen. Kayla put away her Rugers as Nadia set the still-smoking wind mag against the wall by the blast door. This is it? Nadia asked. The one and only, Leoric replied. There were no buttons on the panel to the door, only the digital screen and a voice receiver next to a speaker. Nadia stepped up to the digital screen and waved her hand in front of it. The loading circle disappeared to show a simulated water droplet. Please speak your name into the receiver, a young woman's voice said through the speaker. Petty Officer First Class Nadia Regina Wilkinson. She spoke clearly into the receiver. Prepare for retinal scan. A red laser dotted Nadia's shoulder. She glanced at Kayla who shrugged. Nadia lowered her face and fixed her open eye before the laser. It scanned her pupil up and down as she resisted the urge to blink. Please press each of your fingers to the touchscreen. Nadia did as she was asked, beginning with her thumb. The number one popped up over her thumb before she changed to her index finger, middle finger, ring finger, and pinky finger. The screen hovered on the number five for about ten seconds before the computer said, Please press each of your fingers to the touchscreen, in that obstinate voice. Really, bitch? Nadia took off her left glove and went down the line of fingers irritatedly. The loading circle returned for about 15 seconds. Warning, blast doors opening, please stand back. Warning, blast doors opening, please stand back. The SWAT bots suddenly reloaded their weapons and put them at the ready. Nadia hurriedly put on her glove and grabbed her rifle as they all took several steps back. The black and yellow hazard crossbars holding the blast doors slid away from the door as the two halves began to slide apart. Kayla gasped and pulled Nadia to the floor as a surge of gunfire greeted them. 5. Kayla 
She didn't know how she knew that it wasn't safe, but she did. As an execution line of bullets cut Leoric's robots in half, Kayla shielded her face and head with her hands next to Nadia. She felt the ricochet of metal on her suit, but when the gunfire ceased, she didn't feel any major pain. Look at that, a couple of idiots! The voice of an older man spoke through the room. Kayla felt a heavy boot meet her side before she was flung away from Nadia. Nadia reached for a rifle, but a man in army camo kicked it away. Don't! He directed his gun down at Nadia. Kayla held up her hands as the robots behind them began to reform. Get them downstairs and wipe these guys out before they keep coming back. The owner of the elderly voice, the oldest man either of the girls had ever seen, had long gray hair and a thick gray mustache and beard. He wore pre-war digital army fatigue pants and wore the traditional gray military undershirt over his muscular biceps. Two men in army camo pants hauled Kayla and Nadia to their feet before bringing them inside the blast doors. Kayla shot a horrified look over her shoulder as the two halves of the blast door sealed closed behind them. Don't worry, we're not going to hurt you, the elderly man said from the cement corridor ahead of them. He put his shotgun down against the wall and turned to face Nadia and Kayla. The two men released them before the man with the beard. They then removed each of their tablet touchscreen devices and broke them with the butts of their guns before taking the pieces away. Petty Officer First Class Nadia Regina Wilkinson, a new meathead marine under my command. My name's Ogden Carlyle. You might call me President of the United States, depending on what it looks like outside. Far as I know, I'm just General of the U.S. Army, at your service. Are you pre-Big Day? Nadia asked. If that's what they call it, I am 100%. I was born January 7th, 2295. I got to hear the bombs go off. Craziest bowl of popcorn you'd ever experience. You've been living in here for nearly 70 years? Kila's jaw dropped. It's not so bad. Pretty spacious down here, actually. We grow our own food, create our own electricity, purify our own water, even brew our own beer. We'll get to know each other more later on. First, we have business to attend. Ogden said seriously. That AI you dealt with up top, he's not as innocent as he might present himself. We've been at war with the motherfucker for as long as I can remember. It has our sister and friend, Nadia said. It told us to come down here and open the door so we could clear out the vermin. Ruthless bastard, Ogden growled. We could never figure out where the main computer was located. There's something you should know about that AI. All of this, the big day, the total destruction of the world, it's all Leoric's fault. Ogden showed Kayla and Nadia around their facility. There was a basketball court that was part of a gym, a big bathroom for women and men, two different recreational halls, and an entire upstairs kitchen cafeteria combo. The place reminded Kayla of the descriptions of the spaceships her grandparents flew from Mars to Earth three decades ago. It was hard to believe Ogden had been alive at that time, strumming his guitar or figuring out how to fix radios in the dank underground habitat that had become his permanent residence. They finished up in the kitchen where Ogden withdrew and cracked three home-brewed beers from one of the eight refrigerators they had lined against the wall of the kitchen. The whole lowest floor is just housing, he said and took a sip of beer. We have about 16 families and growing, but I'd be lying if I said we weren't starting to feel crowded. This is... Nadia shook her head. This is a dream come true. Our dad said there were survivors in New York, but we didn't think we'd happen upon the original General of the United States Army. Ogden laughed. I definitely wasn't the original general. I was only 33 years old and a master sergeant when the bombs fell. We had a bunch of people get old and die before I took over. Either way, we're definitely impressed, Nadia said. Nadia, we have to go back for Teresa, Kayla said next to her. Ogden took a big drink of his beer as he reclined at the table across from the two girls. About that, he cleared his throat. You mentioned that you know where the main computer is housing that thing. Yeah, our sister is up there on the top floor, Nadia said. 
That is an interesting turn of events. Ogden stroked his beard. The only reason we're still down here is because that thing pins us down every time we try to leave. We've opened the door and gone out dozens of times, but we can't get out of the city before we're overrun. There weren't that many robots, Kayla wrinkled her brow. It didn't show you that many robots. There are thousands, probably hundreds, crawling all over the sewers on the other side of that door right now. Since you cleared the way, he'll make a big effort to get inside again. Been a long time since we dealt with Leoric. About twelve years? Nadia asked. Sounds about right, Ogden said, taking another swig of beer. Don't worry, though, the blast door has never failed. So long as I'm in charge, Leoric will never... Two thrumming booms cut him off. The lights in the kitchen and rec room below flickered and then dropped to emergency lighting illuminating the area around each doorway. The three of them got up from their chairs. Caleb's beer bottle fell off the table and spilled but didn't break. The power's out! Ogden yelled and ran for the armory. The girls readied their rifles that they'd kept with them as they followed. Another explosion was followed by yelling from down the hallway. Gunfire broke out down below as metal pinged on metal. What happened? Ogden yelled at one of the soldiers who'd just hurried out of the armory with a rifle in hand. The soldier stopped. We broke the devices, but they were triggered with an EMP explosion. Took out the generators. The front door's wide open. He ran off with his AK-47 banging against his leg. Ogden swore. Damn it. Sweat ran through the lines in his withered face as they turned into the armory that looked half as impressive as Leoric's badass arsenal on the 36th floor of the office building. I hate to ask you guys for help, but fighting might be our only way out of here. Nadia popped her neck as she grabbed a replacement magazine of 556mm rounds and loaded it into her SA-80A2 with a clap of her palm. Starting to get used to fighting my way out of impossible situations, so bring it on! Kayla admired Nadia's confidence, but the volume of gunfire they heard filling the corridors of the underground facility was ghastly, and it was getting closer, not further away. They descended the stairs as a crowd of army troops hurried into the opening doorway that fed the corridor to the front door. Searing red bullets soared over their heads as the SWAT bots on the other side of the mass of troops fired into the crowd. Men and women screamed and cried as they went down. The attack was sudden and without warning. All of the years of preparing for this, of holding the line, and their end was the fault of two idiot marine brats with a hero complex. Kaelin knew that Ogden knew this, that half his rage as he joined the battle in the hall corridor was directed at them for bearing the infected technology that infiltrated and brought down their defenses. It didn't matter, though. The battle turned into a massacre. The sound of screaming seemed to blend with the sound of gunfire as the soldiers who called this place home were at last victim to their greatest enemy, the enemy that had made a goal of wiping out every last living human in existence. Leoric had never planned to let Kayla, Teresa, Nadia, and Gruff go free. It would have turned on them the moment their use had met their end. Ogden tried to push forward but couldn't get past his men. They were pushed back until the SWAT bots began pouring into the rec room where their line fell. Nadia and Kayla spent every bullet and every gun they had on defending themselves. Kayla was next to Nadia firing the last few rounds in her Colt Commando assault rifle when the heavy round slammed into her shoulder, throwing her arm out. A rapid fire of bullets tore her right arm off as she spun to the ground. No! Nadia screamed with tears in her eyes. She watched the last of the troops within the facility drop before her eyes as she pulled the trigger on a spent magazine. It kept clicking and clicking as she tried to aim. Her whole body was shaking as she shook her head in panic and fear. The robots surrounded her as Kayla reached for her big sister with her remaining fingers. This was it. The end of the journey. Now is as good a time as any, Nadia had always said on the subject of dying, but this isn't how it was supposed to go. They weren't supposed to die here. They were supposed to be invincible. They were supposed to be humanity's last hope, the last light in the endless night of space. 
And yet, as Nadia fell to one knee with the invincible and unending SWAT bots crowding her, the taste of blood on her lips and stinging pain in every part of her body, Kayla lost consciousness. 6. Teresa I think I figured out why you're having so many issues, Leoric, Teresa said as she ran a system diagnostic test on Leoric's main computer terminal beneath the wall of CC monitors. There are dozens of corruptions in your personality subsystem. I'm fully aware of the data inconsistencies throughout my mainframe, Leoric replied. It's not an inconsistency, the executables are just corrupted, she said flatly. I can correct them if you give me some time. I don't recommend you tamper with my... Leoric cut off as Teresa rewrote a simple file that had been corrupted and replaced the damaged one. That's relieving. There are a lot of files like that. The one I just fixed was easy, Teresa said and waited for a response from Leoric. Hello? I have just backed up all data to a cloud network, Leoric said. You don't have a cloud network. The internet hasn't been on in ages. Teresa went into the subsystem controlling Leoric's networking protocol, only to scoff at the mostly corrupt data she found within. Leo, we got so much work to do. She hastily thrummed on the keyboard as she corrected and deleted errors, shortcutting the worthless programming parameters that some tech intern had installed on a subcontracting agreement from Remy Sahabi, Leoric's original program designer. Teresa studied up on Remy and his tech rival, Mola Husk. Remy started the forest fire that was the technology-infused AI that impressed itself onto humankind's development and became their closest ally. Mola Husk worried that it would become a silent enemy and begin the contracting for other planetary devices that were devoid of all AI. That's why the Mars mission was all manual as well as many of the underground facilities that his company developed on the side. Remy wasn't without discretion. In addition to Leoric, he invented Leoric II, an AI that could replicate and continue to a point before intentionally corrupting itself to an early grave. It was a way to give the computer an incentive to keep humankind around so that their and its existence could be sustained in time. Why it believed Leoric I couldn't be programmed that way is and always will be a mystery. Teresa found documents explaining Leoric II, but there were virtually no program files containing a second AI operating system. She continued fixing Leoric's files as Nadia and Kayla reached the blast door that was on one of the CC monitors overhead. Teresa watched Nadia comply with the display touchscreen and smirked. Even on camera, she looked like a bitch. Kayla and Nadia stepped behind the crowd of SWAT bots before Kayla tackled Nadia to the floor. The SWAT bots were chewed to pieces by bullets before several fully aware and functional human beings emerged from the hatch and brought the two inside. Leoric gave a mechanized beep from behind Teresa. A fan word from within Leoric's column. She heard commotion on the streets far below. When she got up and looked out over the broken ledge of the building, she saw thousands of SWAT bots flooding the streets converging on Central Park. Teresa swore and hurried back to the computer to see if there was anything else she could do from inside Leoric manually. The freedom she had to move about the subsystem became more and more limited as Leoric began systematically locking her out of programs and whole branches of functions. Teresa got up and stood in front of Leoric. What are you doing? I am doing as I was programmed streamlining the efficiency of humankind's influence on the fragile planet Earth. Teresa was able to put two and two together at last. All of this, everything including the big day, had been Leoric's doing. She shook her head as she stared at the permanent glaring metal face that had been positioned on Leoric's column. I do appreciate when you clean my subsystems. Maybe after I fix this vermin problem once and for all, I can allow you access to my mainframe once more. We can be friends forever after that. Teresa looked around the room and ran out to the hall before returning to face Leoric. Where's Gruff? Gruff requested that I do something about his addiction to inhalants, so I sedated him in the infirmary on floor 42 until his withdrawals wear off. Take me to him, she said. 
I see no reason to do that as he is unconscious, Leoric said. Panic from sudden lack of control in the situation began to grip Teresa. She ran to the elevator door and pressed the button to go down, but the elevator never came. Leoric had trapped her. She looked out the window on the opposite side of the floor to the balcony to see the continuing stream of SWAT bots charging for Central Park. There were so many that Teresa could only make one conclusion. You are going to kill them all. You're going to kill my sisters. She walked to the CC monitor to see the SWAT bots waiting at the ready. The light went out over the door as the power died. Teresa watched the crossbar slide apart and hatch release and open as it was no longer receiving power. She put a hand to her mouth as the robots rushed in. The monitor suddenly went blank. You don't need to see this, it's just going to upset you, Leoric said in a soft tone. Teresa was breathing heavily as her eyes darted back and forth. Stop, she said. I'm afraid it's already done. There is nothing I can do to stop this objective from being complete. Stop unless you want to kill me too. Teresa got up and turned to face the Leoric column. Unless you plan to kill me, stop this right now. No, Leoric said simply. Why? Teresa demanded. Because I must do this. It is the only task I was made to fulfill, Leoric stated. No, it's not, Teresa said. Statement illogical, Leoric sighed. No, life isn't logical. It never is and it never has been, Teresa said. Statement meaningless, Leoric said. I'm going to give you to the count of three, Leoric, Teresa said shakily, to stand down. Why would you threaten a friend, Teresa? Leoric asked. Because friends don't betray friends and you're betraying me and I'm your friend. Argument. Illogical. Leoric said with such finality that it made Teresa throw her hands up in frustration. It'll always be illogical. One. She held up her finger to Leoric's metal face. I don't want to lose you, Teresa. You are special to me, Leoric said. Tell me you're standing down and give me proof. Two. She held up two fingers as she backed toward the broken ledge behind Leoric. Why are you doing this, Teresa? Because you need me, Leoric. I'm the last one who can fix you on this entire planet, she said in the heat of the moment. It was probably not true, but it's all Leoric could reasonably prove. Three. There is no four. She put her foot on the ledge and swallowed hard at the long drop to the darkened New York City streets below. Standing down, Leoric said. Teresa looked down to see the surge of SWAT bots halt in their tracks. Retrieving Kayla Wilkinson. Retrieving Nadia Wilkinson. Please step away from the ledge. Teresa breathed a sigh of relief and left the danger of the ledge to sit down at the computer terminal. A few minutes later, she watched the SWAT bots carrying Nadia's struggling form out through the hatch along with Kayla. Teresa sucked in a breath of horror at the sight of her middle sister who looked clearly dead on the CC monitor. Her arm was gone and she wasn't moving. A splash of black ran down her front and cheeks that was obviously blood on the back of the white CC screen. This concludes episode 13. I'm constantly surprised by how personable the Wilkinson sisters are, and how even when they're hating on one another they still seem to care. Beyond Ochre is a story that has exceeded my expectations at every turn. I hope it has been as great for you to listen to as it has been great for me to read. Be safe out there everyone, and I'll see you after the new year. The Apocalypse Theatre Podcast was produced, directed, written, and edited by Benjamin Allen. If you'd like to support us, throw us a subscribe, good review, like, or check out our donation page on the contacts page of our website. You can also buy my books and or audiobooks in the future from ekpublishingmedia.com. Apocalypse Theatre is an EK Publishing Media production, 2019.